G'day everyone, welcome back to the My Mate Podcast. Uh, now, if you're watching at home, if you're playing at home, excuse the lighting. I'm recording this uh, a little bit later in the evening and it's a little bit flickery. So uh, yeah, please excuse me for that one, but hopefully you can see the mug. Um, today's show is all about the ego. The ego is a very, very deep topic. It's a part of uh, what is known as depth psychology. I'm actually just going to change chairs here, guys, so bear with me on this one. <laughs> it's all happening. This is all very professional, isn't it? All right. Oh, it's much better. So much better. Okay. So the ego is all about, uh, you know, it comes under the same umbrella as identity and, you know, things like, you know, ideas such as, you know, who we think we are. Um, the difference between I am and you are and, you know, all of these very, very deep questions that I, I, I don't necessarily think really begin to bother us uh, until kind of midlife or unless some kind of traumatic experience occurs and our understanding of who we are has to change. So like the death of a loved one or when, we, when we're when we fired or when something really, really um, ha- bad happens, you know, something really bad happens and we, we start to feel very volatile, you know, as, as it's kind of like the world that we thought we knew is no longer the way it actually is and we have to, we have to move through that change or else go insane because we can no longer be who we once were. And you, you, you think of that idea... Like, for example, someone, you know, sustains a, an injury, you know, they're, they're driving in their car and, you know, they, 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 they hit the side of the road and, and they break their neck and, you know, they were a basketballer and now they, and they're obsessed with playing basketball. They've been obsessed ever since they were a child and they can't be a basketballer anymore because now they're a paraplegic. So their, their identity obviously will change, but the degree to which they are accepting of that identity changing is the degree to which they were attached to the identity of basketballer of who they were. So this is kind of what this, this, this podcast is, is all about. And I've been obsessed. That's my, uh, that's my little dog, Abby there. She's probably going to get annoyed because I haven't fed her yet, even though it's an hour and a half before dinner time. Um, anyway, this is what this podcast is all about. It's around the ego. And I have a little piece of writing here that I wanted to share with you. It's uh, in part a uh, analysis of what Eckhart Tolle was talking about on the on his interview with Russell Brand recently. And you can actually see that in full on YouTube. And uh, here we go. So Eckhart Tolle spoke about the nature of the ego in an interview with Russell Brand. The ego can be thought of as many things. Some refer to it as arrogance made manifest, but it is deeper than that. Some say it is the thoughts in your head, and it is, but it is more malleable than that. And we know this because our thoughts change all the time, at least the seemingly less significant ones. Abby, shush. Sorry, guys. In any case, Tolly had this to say. Let's say you are a room and you, the room, want to know, who am I? So you would say, well, there's this furniture here. There's the sofa and the chairs and the table. And there's the wall and the ceiling and the floor. And there's this and that. That's me. You describe yourself in terms of the content within you. And then you're asked, is there anything that you have missed that you are? No, you say, because you're looking for more content, but you have listed and said all the content. That's what I am. And then suddenly someone points out, haven't you missed the essence of who you are? And that's the space. 
It's the essence of you, the room. It's not the content within you. It's the space of the room. You had never been aware of that, that you're actually this space that can never be destroyed. It's actually timeless. And in this analogy, that space is the space of consciousness. So it's beyond the ego. It's, it's, it's deeper than the ego. You are not the content of your mind, and that is your form identity. <clears throat> so then I said, when we identify ourselves by our egos, and unfortunately this is not always a conscious decision, we derive our sense of self from something that isn't us. Tolley also said that the ego ultimately seeks some kind of superiority, compares itself to others. And that when we identify as our egos, we never meet our other individuals at all, only the constructs of our minds. What does this mean? It means that we have become who we think we need to be, complete with moral superiority and social acceptance, to not only be included, but be loved, whole, welcomed, and desired. Thoughts are projections. They are ideas about ways to grab or access what is, as Tolly would say, outside ourselves. Because if the room can only identify itself by comparative position, and that what it truly is in its entirety is timeless space, then we ourselves, removed from identification with the content, are that timeless space too. As Tolly says, the ego always needs some kind of antagonist because it defines itself by the other. That's the really important idea here, guys. The ego defines itself by the other. So... I am who you think I think I am. Identity is something that humans desperately seek because to not be someone means to be no one and being no one is scary. Okay. The ego is the person we have decided to become out of all other possible potentialities. Neurosis forms when we disregard the fact that we could be those others and they appear ever more violently in dreams to the degree we consciously or unconsciously neglect them. Being attached to a particular identity means to continually separate ourselves from the nothing, the timeless spaciousness of what is. Likewise for the room, attaching itself to a particular identity would mean to identify itself as only the chair or the sofa. Okay, so this is going back into Tolley's analogy about the room, okay? But we human beings know that a room isn't the content within it because we can see the totality of the room. We can fill it with other things. So we could put new walls in there. We could take the sofa out. We could put another chair in there. You know, the room, because it can only see that, it can't see itself, thinks that that's what it is. But we know, because we're outside the room, uh, that it's actually more than just that. It's anything that you fill it with. So a kitchen is only a kitchen if you put kitchen-like things in the kitchen. Okay, that's very similar to what it's like being a human being. So in much the same way, I cannot identify myself only as Tom because that is a psychological projection. It is one piece of content within my mind, but I am also a writer, a podcaster, a speaker, a man, a dog owner, a partner, a son. I am all these things and all the things that those things are attached to. So essentially, I am only Tom to the degree that such an identity is pertinent within given circumstances. So I'm only going to say I'm a Tom when that's necessary. So what is your name? Well, my name is Tom. It's not who I am ultimately, because I could be all other sorts of things. Ultimately, however, I am all that ever was, is, and will be, just like you are. And that totality of consciousness that pervades everything, that is omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient, is how many have come to define God, if that word resonates with you. And that is why Ramana Maharshi, an Indian Hindu sage, said that God, Guru, and the self are the same. 
<clears throat> okay, so the birth of the ego on the mythological landscape is what many of us now refer to as narcissism because it appears that Narcissus, according to the Greeks, could not obtain what he most desired. I'm sure we know the story of Narcissus, but I'll, I'll walk you through it here. Narcissus walked by a pool of water and decided to drink some. He saw his reflection, became entranced by it, and killed himself because he could not have his object of desire. He was a self who fell in love with the self he saw, but he suffered because he could not have what he wanted, which was actually what he already was. How does this make sense? Okay, that's a good question, and I'll answer it for you. How does this make sense? It is so because he identified himself as the self that was separate to the beautiful image reflected to him in the pool of water. Again, the ego only knows itself by relative position. It dies otherwise. There can be no I without thou. What we obtain enhances our sense of self because, in effect, we see ourselves on the outside, but we have to cling on to that which sustains our identity. So the room must continually be a room. It cannot be nothing. It requires more content, more chairs and sofas, more and more and more. And we are the same. We need more things, more reassurance that we are who we are because we like this ego and cannot afford to give it up and become another one because to the degree that we identify as ego is the degree to which there is no other ego. Okay, remember the I and thou. In effect, if the room has attached itself to the chair within it, the room believes that it will die if something happens to the chair. That is why people mourn the death of loved ones, which is obviously not a bad thing at all, because it's terrible when people we love die. Grieving is the necessary acquiescence to change, the death, transformation, and rebirth of a new ego, a new, uh, a new sense of self based upon different external, unavoidable circumstances. And that coincides to what I was talking about in the beginning, guys. This is where it gets fun. Only by awakening from the traps of the ego can we come to realize that we were only ever being ideas and, contra on, and constructs of who we thought we needed to be to serve the endless wishes of the mind. Tolly says, suddenly you realize that there is a dimension of consciousness in you that's not thinking, but it's just conscious. That's you. That's the awakening. When you realize that underneath it all, all your sense perceptions, all your thoughts, underneath it all, there's this vast realm of conscious presence there without which you wouldn't be able to perceive anything or think anything. So in order to begin this process of waking up, and I really hate that term, but I'm just using it because it's it makes sense here, but I can't stand that term. Uh, so in order to begin this process of waking up out of the identity our egos desire to be, we must start to explore the other contents within the room, so to speak. If we are not merely the chair, might we then also be the sofa, the walls, the door, the ceiling and the floor, Okay. To the degree we want, I keep saying to the degree, this is only a rough draft, so I'm going to fix this up. Oh, that's Siobhan's arm. <laughs> to the degree we want or need to be the chair is the degree to which exploring the other contents within the room, other aspects of the self, evokes a sense of fear or shame. We see that we are no longer merely happy or good people. We see that there are other, more contentious and less socially acceptable aspects of our being. We see that the self is made up of all that is, the light and the dark. 
So contemporarily speaking, you, you guys might have heard these terms before, like inner child healing or shadow work, you know, going inside and having a look at all the trauma and the pain and the shit that made you you. Uh, so all of that comprises the necessary embrace and acceptance of all aspects of who we are and what the world and universe for that matter is made of. So to yin and yang, we're very good at uh, loving the yang, which is the positive aspect. Okay, according to Taoism, we're not very good at having a look at the chaos and the darkness. Okay, and uh, that is why inner child work and shadow work is becoming so popular these days because we are expanding consciousness. We are having a look at the full spectrum of the self, the light and the dark. That's why I said that. So having a look at not only the parts we like about ourselves or not only the parts that the ego receives gratification from internally and externally, we start to see all of the shitty parts. And then if we can love the full spectrum, then we're liberated from the ego traps. Okay, so finally, just like the room who cannot find contentment or satisfaction with pure identification with any one single piece of content within it, we too are liberated from all attachment because we come to see that nothing out there nor within here is who we are. It's all just more stuff. It's not everything. It's not full or complete. It's all part of the bigger picture. So here's how I break it down. You are a someone. You could also be a someone else if you wanted to start behaving like that person or if you stopped behaving like you normally do. Then you might think, well, I could behave like anyone. And that's true. So who you are isn't merely what you do because you could do anything right now. So then who are you? Well, you're no one and everyone simultaneously. Again, in order to break free from this endless mind trap, start exploring the parts of you that aren't necessarily your best features. That's my dogs. I'm sorry. So the best features, okay? The, the room... Have a listen to those dogs. The room might love only the chair in the space. It might hate all of the shitty old furniture. But like us, when we start to expand our consciousness, we need to start looking at our pain and fear and shame and trauma. So the, the room needs to start looking... <laughs> the dogs are going crazy. The room needs to start looking at all the shitty pieces of furniture to figure out what the fuck it is, right? Okay, so breaking free from this endless mind trap involves having a look at the parts of you that aren't necessarily your best features. So as human beings, rather than staying present with our feelings, we remove or distract ourselves from them, thereby attaching ourselves to cycles of pleasure and pain. So that's like the room having to be the chair. And it goes through all of these things just so it can be the chair. It constantly makes it look better and better, invest more time. And it's, you know, it sacrifices a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't need to. Okay. Uh, So these are all avoidance behaviors, subsequent come downs and further strategies to feel good. But we do not need to lose ourselves in karmic cycles so long as we remain present with whatever we are feeling. So how good are you at literally sitting with disgust when you see something disgusting? or you feel disgusting? Can you remain open and sit with that? Can you remain open and sit with your fear without doing something which creates the karma wheel to kick on and roll? Can you just sit and be with the fear? This is what I'm talking about here. This is expanding your consciousness. Okay. So to stop being a someone, or at least to start recognizing the true nature of yourself, begin by doing something different. Then your consciousness will grow because it isn't only headed towards the clouds, 
but down to the mud and further below. And as David Data says, who is a spiritual teacher and an author of over 10 books that I love, he says, a life lived well embraces death by feeling open from heart to all in every moment, in every moment. Wide open, you can offer without holding back. You can receive without pushing away. Wide open, heart to all, you are openness, unseparate from this entire open moment. Every part of the moment comes and goes as openness. Okay, so let's think about that for a second. So, oh, it's getting darker in here. Guys, if you're watching at home, sorry about the fuzziness. I need to get myself some better, some better lighting. The ego is a combination of thoughts, which are basically just what we think are socially desirable expectations. Uh, that's the Freudian superego. Um, combination of that and everything that we see outside of ourselves that keeps us being who we are. So if I'm a writer and I see writing things all around and that reinforces my identity because I keep behaving like that, well then my ego is attached to some idea of writing. Okay. And I suppose the whole, the big, the most important thing to remember guys with this is that what all the spiritual teachers talk about is what is, if you're not the ego and you're merely watching yourself do heaps of egos in this lifetime, then what is the you that watches yourself? And now that's a thought. So the paradox becomes then, well, what is the you watching the you watch yourself? So it's this endless thing, but eventually it just becomes down to what people in the East call the oneness or, you know, uh, God or, or, or all these things. But we live in this endless idea of paradoxes and it's, I suppose the whole idea around thinking about, you know, thinking about thinking, ego abstraction is a lovely humbling sense of freedom in the idea that you don't need to be who you are if you don't like who you are. If you are suffering, if you have high anxiety, okay, this is something that I tell my clients, if you are struggling with all these things, what you should look at, use that room analogy, okay? If you have high anxiety, like the room who has identified itself with the raging homicidal murderer that stands in the room, you can choose not to be that murderer person anymore, okay? Now, bear with me with the analogy. You can face some other thing over here and go, okay, there's a murderer over there, okay? So there is fear within us. Fear is a part of what it means to be human. But then there's also happiness over here, okay? We don't want to neglect either fear nor happiness. We want to resonate in the idea that all of those things and remaining open to that comprise the necessary experience of what it means to be perfectly imperfect, okay? There's so much liberation that comes with these ideas, talking about ego and identity. And to leave you with some books that really helped me around this kind of stuff was the Bhagavad Gita um, by Radhakrishnan's um, philosophy. That's a really great book. It's such a it's an old book. It's it's based in in Hindu teaching, um, but Radhakrishnan Radhakrishnan's interpretation of it was wonderful. And um, I think he wrote it in the 20th century, I think in the 1940s. So that one was really good. Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now is is brilliant. I, I've attacked it a couple of times. I feel like I'm just kind of ready to now give it a crack. Um, 
But any kind of mythological comparison, comparative mythology, um, depth psychology, Carl Jung's stuff is amazing. Um, and I think Russell Brand as well is putting out some awesome content around this stuff right now. Um, you know, we all know if we sit with ourselves long enough that we have changed. You know, there are parts of us that have stayed the same, you know, you know, um, various mannerisms, etc. But we see the world differently and, you know, and, and we can continue to see the world different, more differently if we want to. You know, if we want to expand ourselves and our understanding of what it means to be human and live on Earth, we can be open to different experiences, you know, reading different books, listening to people, knowing that if you take something on that they say, then your opinions might change. That's scary. But this is all about chipping away at the egos and, you know, dispensing with the dry wood and dispensing with the, you know, what do they call it? The wheat from the trough, the dead wood, excuse me, and and becoming more and more integrated. Uh, so <clears throat> this was a very deep podcast, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. That was a excerpt from book three, which is, yes, I'm fine just thinking. You can probably tell why I called it that. Uh, book two is in the making right now. It's being edited, which is fun. I have some very exciting news coming up for you all in a couple of weeks when I can uh, officially drop it. But we've got some major changes going on in uh, MindMate HQ. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm really pumped for it, guys. So uh, yeah, I can't wait to drop all that for you. If you uh, enjoyed this show, guys, you could leave a rating and review if you wanted to. Um only if you want to, don't have to, something mum used to say on iTunes, um, you can drop me a hit, I'll we'll put all this up on the social medias and if you like it, you can share it, um, if you like it, you don't have to share it, if you're enjoying lockdown right now, you can tell me how I can try to enjoy mine better, <laughs> uh, I think that's enough shit talk for now, guys, as always, love you all, bye.